Thank you, worship team. Great, great job. Well, tonight, we're starting like a two-part series. It's still on the idea of getting beyond the bubble, because that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts. We're going to be finishing the whole book of Acts, but I'm going to sum up what's in several chapters. You know, we finished chapter 10 last week, but we're going to sum up all the rest of the chapters in the book. I can hardly wait till next week. I'm going to actually give you a summary of the entire book of Acts, and you won't believe a pattern you see in there and how God is going to use that to instruct you and me about what we need to do in our lives. But tonight we're beginning to look at what they call the journeys of Paul, because Paul, who was formerly named Saul, persecuted the church and become a Christian, is now going to spread the gospel all over the, the known world at that time and tell people about Jesus and his saving power. And so this man, Paul, is probably, I mean, even an atheist would have to admit, the Apostle Paul probably changed our world as much or more than anybody else that ever lived. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about the guy, still reading his writings. I mean, that's phenomenal. We talk about somebody knowing their mission in life and being clear about it. That was the Apostle Paul one of my heroes in life. Well, if we study about the missionary journeys of Paul, he had three of them. We're going to study those. We're studying the first one tonight, starting in uh, chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 13. And if you have your phones, put it on there. I'm going to be reading from there in just a minute. But here's a good question to start with. Why are we studying? I mean, what, what good is it going to do for your life? for my life, to know about the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. So what? So I know it now. I didn't know it before. What difference is it going to make? Well, here's the difference. Here's one of the great lessons we learn. You get to see right here in this historical document of the book of Acts how the Apostle Paul got his mission in life, how he knew what he was supposed to do. And you know what? For you as a Christian, it's exactly the same. You need to hear from God just like Paul heard from God about his mission in life. And who would be better to read from than the Apostle Paul? A guy, like I said, that's been changing. He's a world changer. He really knew his mission. Do you really know your mission? That's the problem sometimes. We're not so clear. We're just kind of going through life trying to survive, right? That's not what we're supposed to be. That's not who we're supposed to be. We're the church. Gates of hell can't stop us. Well, what's our mission then? Get personal about it. What is your mission? And what I want to do before we even get into all this is pray with you about that. So would you bow your head and let me pray for you. Please bow your head, close your eyes, try and worship the Lord, dear God. Whether I'm talking to somebody who's at home right now watching this or someone right here in the room. May this be a time, a marking point for the rest of their life to clarify their mission. To maybe learn their mission in life for the very first time. To see what God's call is on them. Oh, Lord, we see this in in different missionaries' lives. We see this in pastors' lives. I see this in laymen's lives. Many people who seem to be very clear because you spoke to them. And I pray you'd be speaking tonight. That we'd all be able to hear the very voice of God. Maybe not audibly, but as we learn from the Apostle Paul in several ways, just like he did. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back when I was uh, living in Dallas, Texas, going to seminary, 
married, had one kid. I, I used to go and get jobs to try and make money, you know. So one of the jobs I had was helping people plan funerals. Can you believe it? That's what I was doing. I was in my 20s and helping people plan funerals. And, of course, now, uh, I mean, I did a funeral just yesterday. Um, I've probably done well over 100 funerals. So when you get into a conversation with somebody about those kinds of things, it gets very sober. And an evaluation takes place, no matter what you want, about either someone's funeral you're doing or about themselves and their life. And you ask the question, and someone asks the question usually, well, what was their life worth? Well, what did they do? What should we talk about when we eulogize them? What should they talk about when they eulogize me? What was my life like? What I accomplish? And usually when I ask somebody, back, back in that day, I remember, and even in funerals, like, well, what do you want with your life? Well, what, what, what do you want to accomplish? And they, well, usually the answers were things like this, you know, well, I, I just want to have a happy marriage and great kids and a good job and a nice house. Um, I, I hope we can, I can have great friends and, and good school, send my kids to good schools, have hobbies and enjoy those things and go on big, great vacations and, and, hip, and have my life be full of yours and die. And inevitably, if you go a little deeper, then we'd talk about, well, what if you get all that? What if it all comes out beautiful? So what? What if you don't get it all? And it doesn't happen. So what? Well, what is your life worth? My, my favorite movie of all time is Saving Private Ryan. And when, in the movie, they got this old guy who's Ryan... His brothers got killed in the war, remember? And they sent out these troops to go find him and, and pull him back because all his brothers got killed in the war and they, they didn't want the poor mother to lose her last son. And so saving Private Ryan was about saving him, right? And he's at the grave and he starts crying. He's looking at his wife. He goes, was, was I worth it? Did I live, did I live worth it? I that, that's what was my favorite movie. It's like the big question in life. Was I worth it? Did I do anything? Did I do anything above me having a happy life? Like I said, so you had a happy life. Big deal. What difference did you make? That's why I'm excited to look at this passage of Scripture. Because here's a man that made such a difference. The world is still vibrating over the changes that this guy brought. How can you make a difference? Are you making a difference? I mean, who, listen to me, who wants their life to be a throwaway? Kind of meaningless. Didn't really matter. Listen, I've done funerals for people like that. What do you say? They drank themselves to death, you know? Or they were a horrible father or mother or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah well, what difference did you make? Did you invest in people? Did you make a difference with what you said and how you lived and your values? That's what this is all about when you look at the Apostle Paul and his journeys. He's found meaning to life, purpose for his life, and he's so excited to share it with other people. And he wants, he's got this life-changing message. And it's about the kingdom of God. And he wants to share that with people. I put down what's called the big idea of the sermon. God will tell you your mission in life if you're listening. I'm saying that, and I wrote that down because that's what this teaches us. We're going to read about the Apostle Paul and how he knows what to do. And you know what's going to astound you? 
He knows because God tells him. It, it, through visions, through dreams, through, through hearing God through other people. And in fact, that's the very first point. He could hear God speak through friends and relatives and people and guys on the mission with him. Can you? Are you listening? That's the big key. That's why I put down, God will tell you your mission if you're listening. And what better guy to learn from than the Apostle Paul? A literal world changer. A guy that had a mission so powerful, like I said here 2,000 years later. Uh, we still read about him. We still talk about him. It's like, wow. Maybe we should listen up and look at how he got it. Point one in your outline reads like this. Listen for God in others. And we see it in chapter 13. Look at Acts chapter 13. Just look at the first few verses, first three verses. Just to give you a little background, if you remember, the churches started in Jerusalem. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon them when they prayed, Acts chapter 2. Then persecution came, and they were driven out of Jerusalem. And they went up north on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea up to a place called Antioch. Now, we're going to talk about another Antioch later, but this is Antioch up there in, still in Israel, okay? It's up there. And right there in Antioch, here's what happens. Now, there were in Antioch, you could say the headquarters of the church at that time, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Wow, that's quite a famous person. Isn't it? And, and Saul, who we know as Paul now. His, his Greek name is Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the beginning, right here, the beginning of 30 years, which is really the whole book of Acts is, is a 30-year history. And this is the beginning of Paul's journey. Notice they're in a place called Antioch. It's the new headquarters of where churches, and they're doing what here? It says real clearly, they're listening to God, and they're praying and fasting. They're so serious about it. Prophets. It mentions prophets. What do prophets do? They listen to God, and then they go tell people what God said, right? What do teachers do? There's the next list. Teachers are there. Is that they're listening to God. And then it lists a whole bunch of famous people that are there, named in attendance. Peoples like this guy, Manny, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Whoa, that's somebody. Saul, who was the major teacher, Lucius of Cyrene. This isn't all the people that were there. It just mentions them. And what happened at that place? God spoke. Why? Why there? Why then? Because they were strategizing and planning? Because they were organizing and coordinating? No! No, the Bible never suggests that. It says what? Twice it says they're praying and they're fasting. They're praying and they're fasting. And these very serious leaders are praying and they're fasting. And it's trying to tell us real quick this works. This works. Pray and fast. Seeking God like that tells him you're listening. Now, if you've been following along in our church, Chuck Peterson, who's head of our search committee, looking for the next senior pastor, you know, the guy to replace me, he all called us to pray and fast this Thursday. I don't know if you did it. God bless you if you did, but it's not too late. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it Monday. You can do it any day. You just skip some meals just to show yourself to God, just to say, God, I'm seriously listening. God, I'm seriously appealing to you. Have you ever tried fasting before? Have you ever shown God you're that serious? Or maybe it's something in your life you need to know. A decision you're trying to make. 
Have you ever gotten so serious with God? Say, all right, I'm not eating till you tell me. You, you got to tell me. I got to know. And you seriously think he won't? Really? He won't tell you? Oh, he might make you wait. He might make you do this many times. But don't give up listening to God. And he speaks sometimes, like it says here, through other people. This isn't just Paul's idea or Saul's idea. This wasn't just Barnabas's idea. They were confirmed. It says they were already called. Now they were seeing it clearly through praying and fasting and God speaking to them through all these other people saying, you know what? God's telling me you need to go. That's pretty amazing. That's humbling on their part actually to do that. Do you know that that has a lot to do with how this church progressed? We had a group of people meeting in my house. People say this church started in a garage, and it did. The place that would be the garage built in our house was built into a place for meeting people. Max, if you maxed it out, you could maybe get 50 people in there. And we did. But before we even had 50 people, and we only had maybe... 15 or 20 or 25, we were praying very seriously and fasting and asking God to show us what to do. I mean, with this little church meeting down in Shimong, we our target area is Medford. We know that, but we couldn't find a place to meet in Medford. We found this place in, in Shimong, the house that the denomination built, saw so a meeting in there, and we're trying to figure out what to do. And God answered. There was a lady in our church, and probably nobody here knows her. Her name is Fran Walker. She still comes out. She's in her 80s. And she said to me, she said, I feel like God's telling me I, could, I should start a Bible study in my house, but I can't teach. Would you teach a Bible study in my house? And I'll invite some of the friends I know. So Fran Walker, this lady that was coming to her church, her husband wouldn't even come with her. She comes. He comes now, believe it or not. He's coming now. So it took a long time to reach him, but we're reaching him. But anyway, Fran shares this and says, uh, she wants me to teach. I said, sure. And at that Bible study in her house, I did an eight or nine week Bible study on marriage and the family. I figured, oh, people will come for that. Two of the people there, two of the families there were the laundresses and the Chesters. People really connected in Medford. People in their 40s that knew a lot of different people. Ed had started the running club in Medford. Dave Chester had been involved in all kinds of things. We had all kinds of things going on and meeting people. They were the network we got to use. God did it. It works, folks. Pray. Trust God. Seek God. It's not all up to you to strategize, organize. Oh, there's nothing wrong with strategizing and organizing, but that ain't it. We have to listen to God to know what to do. So, you're here tonight. I've been challenging you so far, right? Listen for your mission. Well, if you're not clear on your mission, you might be wasting your life in a lot of things you shouldn't be doing. Or very frustrated with what you're doing or not doing. Listen, why don't you go to God? May tonight be a call for you to prayer. Where you go, you know what? I'm going to do this every morning. You know what? I'm going to start really getting serious. You know what? I'm going to skip some meals on Tuesday. Or I'm going to skip some Wednesday. Or something like that. Where you're really seeking God. Are you ready for that? Do you want to know your mission? Or are you satisfied the way it's going? How will they evaluate you when you're dead? What will they say at the funeral? Or will it be something that lasts for years, like the Apostle Paul? Because, wow, you made a difference. Look at point two. 
Listen for God in his word. If we, the first place they went was an island called Cyprus. And there's some things that take place in Cyprus. A magician they're talking to that comes to Christ, all kinds of different things going on. And finally they get to verse 16 when they're in Pisidian Antioch. So you go through the Mediterranean, up north of there, up into Pisidian area, and there's a Pisidian Antioch just like the one down in the Mediterranean. And it says, So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, in, they're in a synagogue in, in the Antioch in Pisidia. And he says this, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Now, I'm not going to take time to read what he said, but he goes through scripture after scripture after scripture. Why? Because he's in a Jewish synagogue. He's talking to Jewish people. They know their Old Testament. So he says, well, let's look through the scriptures and see if we see anything there about Jesus. And oh my goodness, he starts opening their eyes. They start seeing things they hadn't seen before because they start reading things and he starts quoting scripture. Look at all the way down. He had quoted two or three passages about David and everything and he looks, looks at verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And to and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And what's he been teaching him? The law of Moses. And he says, guess what? Jesus has come to fulfill the law of Moses for you. You can be seen righteous in God's eyes, even though you're not. You can be like a law keeper, even though you messed up. Because of Jesus, you can be set free from the penalties of sin in your life. Isn't that dynamic? And he's he's sharing it with all kinds of passion like that. Look at verse 47, same chapter, chapter 13. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you, quote in the Old Testament, you a light for the Gentiles, that you may be bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So he's quoting to them that the Gentiles would be invited into this, as we just saw in chapter 10. Remember Dave's sermon last week? And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Again, focused on the word. Paul believed you're going to know what God wants you to do if you listen to his word. And then it says the word, they were, uh, people were like hearing the word of God for themselves. I, I don't know how far you've gotten in your journey with the Lord, but it's very significant to get to the place where you can read this book and you can hear God speak to you about your life, your mission, your drives, your desire, your sin, your victories. You listen to the word through the word. That's what these people were starting to understand. He says, then it spread to others hearing it. There's a, there's a real truth in the book of Acts that we often gloss right over. It's the Holy Spirit Sometimes people say this is the acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what this book is about. And it's teaching us that through reading the Word of God, it's the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit uses that to convict us of sin, to lead us to righteousness, to help us understand things, to see things we didn't see before. And that's what Paul's saying happened to these Gentile Christians. Pretty dynamic, isn't it? And you know what? Here thousands of years later, it's still happening. My older brother, who's a very strong believer, sent me something uh, that I wanted to read to you. And it's about what, uh, a man who was speaking at his church, sharing, sharing some statistics. 
and and they're called never before as I used to call them NBs in our church and talking about things that we've never seen happen before the gospel that Peter that Paul's preaching here has been happening for 2,000 years how's it spreading our church is still starting I don't know if you've heard but right at this point the southern hemisphere of this world is on fire for the Lord lots of people are coming to Christ listen to this Never before in 2,000 years have we been this close to getting the message of Jesus to every unengaged, unreached people group in the world. Only a few hundred groups remain without a gospel witness in the world. We are that close to getting to every people group in the world. They have all been adopted by some group, some mission group, somebody. Some predict... Some of these missionaries, some predict that within 18 months, we will be engaged to everybody in the world with the gospel. Listen to this, second NB. Never before have we been this close to having the Bible in every language of the world. Okay, of the 7,000 unique languages in the world, 3,000 have the scriptures. 2,000 have people working on those languages in making the Bible in their own language. And Bible translation tells us that they are planning to get 2,000 remaining languages by the year 2025 and plans to have portions of all languages ready by 2033. Every language in the scriptures. I mean, there'll be a scripture in every language in 13 years. Can you believe that? That's never happened in world history. Do you know the scriptures predict that, that someday all people will hear and then the end will come? Oh, we must be getting really close, right? Never before, here's the third one, never before have we had the technology to get the message of Jesus to every person. Now we have internet and cell phones and mobile hotspots and solar-powered tablets to deliver the gospel to all people, even in the remotest locations like in the Pacific Islands and in the Amazon. We have the gospel in oral forms, recordings, and in visual forms like the Jesus film in 1900 languages. I don't know if you've ever seen the Jesus film. It's a great witness opportunity. And it's in 1,900 languages right now. Could it be that the Isaiah, that Isaiah 52 passage, quoted also in Romans 15:21, is being fulfilled right now as we speak? They who have no, here's what it says: They who had no news of Him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Wow! It's a, you know, we might think of it as a pandemic time and a terrible time, but it's really a wonderful time right now. There's a lot going on in this world. Here's the last one, the fourth one. Never before in 2,000 years has there been the united prayer that we see in our day. There are days of prayer, 24-7 prayer groups, houses of prayer, prayer for specific targets group, prayer for revival, prayer for awakening. This author concludes by saying this. All four of these things I just read to you, all four of these are happening simultaneously at the same time. No one group, no church, no denomination, no organization is leading them. It all seems to be happening by God's movement. No network is coordinating them. It's just the Spirit of God. And COVID ain't stopping it. It's happening. Yeah, don't you want to just, wow. 
I'm just trying to tell you, this is just the beginning. This is a 30-year record. That's all it is, just a 30-year history. Here we are 2,000 years later going, it's still happening. It's happening more than ever. Why? Because you cannot stop the church. Jesus was right. The gates of hell can't stop it. No wars could stop it. No pandemics can stop it. No politicians can stop it. No mass killings like in World War II under Mussolini and Hitler. They can't stop it. Nobody stops it. You and me, that's who we are. We're the church. That's our mission. And you're going to know specifically what you're supposed to do by listening to God just like they've always done, just like they're still doing. You read the Bible and the Spirit of God talks to you and shows you. Thirdly, in fact, hearing what we're going to do on Christmas Eve, doesn't that want you, don't you just want to invite a friend or a neighbor or a relative to come to our outdoor service we're going to have? We're going to have fire there to keep us warm. We're praying really hard for nice weather. Please start praying for it now. Because <laughs> we're afraid that by that time, already the governor will shut us down meeting inside. So meeting in here might be impossible. So let's just plan on out there. We'll move in if we still can, but we'll still be doing online, of course. In fact, we have some exciting changes for that you don't even know about yet that we're planning this week about what we're going to do in 2021 to change up what we're doing online to make it more integrated and more engaging. Anyway, listen for God. Invite people to in. Listen for God in opposition. That's what happens next. If, if, if you got your Bibles, turn to chapter 14, starting with verse 19. But let me give you a little pretext to what happens. So here's Paul and Barnabas, and they think, see things going so well that they move up into Iconium, a big area, and then Lystra, and they're preaching the gospel, and it's just, they're, they're having the time of their life. It's, it's just like these statistics. People are coming to crisis, things just going. And as we're going to learn next week, Sure enough, things go really, really bad in Lystra. Ready? Chapter 14, starting with verse 19, reads like this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Oh, my gosh. Things were going so great. People's lives were being changed. The Spirit was alive. Now what? I'm sure people were asking that question. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up (laughs) and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derb. When they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. I can't imagine what people in Lystra thought when they saw him again, especially those guys that actually threw the stone, and they left him there for dead. And here's the guy walking around. Boy, that would, that would get you, wouldn't it? would be like you saw a ghost or something. So in Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that, here's what they said, Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, there it is again, prayer and fasting, they knew that made a difference. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Wow. That's just one of my favorite passages because here they left the guy for dead and (laughs) you can't stop the Lord. Oh, I don't know if you know the history of the Christian Missionary Alliance. You know, we're in a denomination that's a couple hundred years old, and 
you go back in our history, not even a couple hundred yet, but you go back in our history, there's many, many of the early missionaries that died. Some of them never got off the ship to where they were going to go. And they died on the ship on the way over there back in the 1800s, early 1900s. But you couldn't stop it. And now millions and millions of people have come to Christ through that denomination we're part of. Now you can't stop it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God working in people's lives. And God still calls people. Look at verse 22. He says, through many tribulations you'll enter the kingdom of God. This is a biblical concept. Uh, like James 1, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, brothers, knowing the testing of your faith. Faith is a good thing, he goes on to say. Or, or Romans chapter 5, where the same thing. He says, suffering is not all bad. God's going to use it in your life. Do you, do you honestly look at it that, that way? Or do you let the suffering, do you let the trials tell you your mission? Scripture are very clear, right here. Guess what? In your mission, you will have tribulation. I can emphatically say to everybody gathered here and everybody listening online, this statement, I wrote it down. The easiest way is not always God's way. Let that soak in. The easiest way for your life is not always God's way for your life. Don't don't fall for that. Us Americans, I mean, come on. You, you and I both know we've had it pretty soft. We've had it pretty easy. I don't know how many missionary friends you got or people that have sacrificed unbelievable stuff. You know, I have many in my own family like that. And you go, wow, I've had it pretty easy. Yeah, we've had it pretty nice. But the easy way is not always God's way for your life. Listen, please, listen. I've done funeral for, funerals for people that are really successful. They've made millions. But at the end of their life, they have great regret because they made no difference except for themselves. And that's such a waste. What a throwaway life. I don't want you to live like that. I don't want to live like that. God doesn't want you to live like that. Recently, I read a book. I've got a couple books I want to share with you right now at the end. I read this book this summer, Finishing Well, because I'm finishing, right? Oh, I want to do this well. So Bob Buford wrote this book called Finishing Well, What People Who Really Live Do Differently, based on inspiring interviews with 60 remarkable people, 60 people. Many of these people are famous. You'll know them in here. Almost every one of them, a very committed Christian. Many of them, very many of them, very successful people. Very successful. But they were ending their life saying, you know, I don't want to just be successful. I want to be significant. And so this book, the guy starts out the beginning, he says, what you need to learn is how to move from just being successful to really being significant. I thought, well, that's a good read. In here, there was one guy that caught my attention, especially by what he said. And I had read a book by this author before. His name is Dr. Armin Nikolai. Do you know who he is? He was a Harvard Medical School professor of psychiatry who had become a strong Christian. And uh, he, he says this about joy. Joy, Dr. Armin Nikolai replied, is this, listen to this, is a deep-seated desire to have a relationship with the person who made us. What? I thought you were a psychiatrist. Yeah. And I'm telling you, joy comes into your life when you come into a real 
understanding a relationship with God. His response was precise but surprising, a definition of joy that I'd never heard. As I thought about it, I wondered if some of the problems stem from, our problems stem from futility, or excuse me, a futilely deficient definition of joy. We tend to think of joy as a state of utter ecstasy or delight, like, like playing tennis when you're in the zone. It's supposed to be an emotional sensation, a kind of euphoria, like a, a runner's high or, or winning the lottery. But if Armin Nikolai is right, joy may be radically different and much more important than we'd thought before. As, we, he, as he went on to explain it, joy has more to do with being in alignment with your task, your assignment from God, and being in a right relationship with him than with your sense of personal gratification and happiness. That was worth the whole book right there. He says, you're going to find joy when you find out your mission. You keep struggling to be happy, ain't going to do it for you. I read this book, and it's like, a lot of these guys, they had every reason in the world to be happy, and they weren't. They're going, you know, I want to do something significant, not just successful. Many of you, you would clearly be defined as successful people. But how about going a little further to be significant? Are you? Could you be? We're learning it right here. In a powerful book written by one of my favorite pastors, John Piper, he, he wrote this book that was really powerful and uh, was like a bestseller called Don't Waste Your Life. In it, uh, John makes a statement that I had to read to you, and then I'll read you the conclusion and we'll be done. God created us to, to live with a single passion to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all the spheres of our lives. The wasted life is the life without this passion. God calls us to pray and to think, to dream and to plan and to work. Not to be made much of for ourselves, but to make much of him in every part of our life. So at the end of this book, after, you know, it's like a convicting book. You're like, oh man, I got to do something with my life. I got to make a difference. He, he prays this prayer that I just had to read to you because it's so powerful. Listen to, listen to this prayer. I'll jump into the middle of it and come to the end. Oh, Father, grant that your church... To be a loving church, glorifying you, seeking you more than than comfort and ease and security. Grant that we seek the kingdom first and let the other things come as you will. Grant that we move forward, excuse me, move toward need, not toward ease. Grant that the firm finality of our security in Christ frees us to risk our homes and our health and our money and our earth to make a difference with our life. Help us to see that if we try to guard our wealth instead of using it to show your glory, then we'll waste our lives. However we might succeed on this earth, dear Lord, I, I tremble now to pray for the readers what I barely feel myself. But I have... I've tasted what your life, what our life might be if, if they could walk along the ever-present edges of death 
and smile with utter confidence that if we fell or possibly were even pushed, we would gain. That's like a quote from the Apostle Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Oh, what abandon, what great liberty, what invincible resolve to love would be our portion if we walk this way. What readiness to suffer for the glory of Christ, what eagerness to show the poor that we would gladly spend and be spent to make, make them glad in God for all eternity. That, that's what the Apostle Paul lived like, which we just read about. What lowliness and meekness and freedom from the need for praise and pay. All things are ours in Christ. The world, life, death, the present, and the future. Let every wavering heart remember this. You promised. You promised each one of us in Christ. I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. So may we say, with death-defying confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Forbid that any, any Lord who read these words would have to someday say, I wasted it. Let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer. May I never someday live in regret saying, God, I wasted it. May no one here ever have to say those words or thoughts. I wasted it. Because may we learn to hear your voice in other people. Hear your voice when we read your word. Hear your voice when we live our life. Hear your voice when we come to church. Hear your voice when we go to work. Hear your voice everywhere, everything, because we're in tune with you. Confessing sins when they need to be. Admitting our need. Seeing the needs of others and going toward them, not running away. Not being self-centered, but others-centered. For Christ has set us free from ourselves. And Lord, that joy that Dr. Armin Nikolai talked about, could we have it? Only if we're set free from us. Only if we can see bigger than us will we have the joy. So I pray for everyone here in their hearts. You would hear their heart cry. Lord, don't don't let them ever come to the place where they go, oh man, I wasted it. And if they've wasted it and they're saying that prayer right now, help them say, okay, well, that's changing tonight. This is it. This is it, Lord. I'm listening. I'm listening. Speak, Lord, speak. Show me my specific mission. Okay, maybe I'm not supposed to be an Apostle Paul or maybe not even a missionary or preacher, but maybe I am. Or maybe I'm supposed to do something in particular for for a certain people group or a certain person. Show me, Lord. Show me my mission in life. In Jesus' name I ask for everyone, all of us, as your church. Amen.